Welcome to Talking History with Farnham U3A History Group. Today, Joanne Watson talks about the global exhibition fever of the 19th century. Part B. What wasn't mentioned there, but which was sort of intimated, was that a lot of people made pilgrimages, and certain characters were then picked up by the press and became national celebs. One of them was an 84-year-old fishmonger who'd come by foot from Penzance carrying a a basket on her head. Mary Kalinak had taken five weeks to make the journey, and as her fame grew, she even got an invite to the mansion house to meet the Lord Mayor. She featured in the Illustrated London News, and many people made donations to help her stay in the capital and make repeated trips to the exhibition. By now, press from around the world couldn't get enough of it, and the exhibition filled numerous column inches throughout the summer. As we heard, more than six million came to it in total, reaching a peak of just under 110,000 on one day in October, just before it closed. The profit, as was mentioned, was in the region of 186,000 pounds. Now, the Crystal Palace was then sold in 1854 and moved to Sydenham, where Paxton created an Italianate garden to to surround it, but it suffered financial difficulties and, as we saw, was destroyed by fire in (coughs) 1936. As for Paxton, well, he became an MP for Coventry and died in 1865. But, as you can imagine, the success in London encouraged more cities to host these world fairs or expositions. So, we left London, and three years later, we arrive in Paris. Now, as you can imagine, the French were determined to outdo London. Their industrial and arts fair in 1855 attracted more than five million visitors, and the majority were interested in the industrial exhibits from 29 countries. But despite five million visitors, it actually made a significant loss as receipts were only a tenth of the expenditure. But amongst the most important parts was the reclassification of Bordeaux wines instigated by Napoleon III. Now, London then staged an expo in 1862, which I have to confess I knew nothing about. Um, This was again organized by the Royal Society of Arts and funded by profits in part from the Great Exhibition. It was staged on land which is now occupied by the Natural History and the Science Museums, And exhibits came from 39 countries, and again, more than 6 million people visited. One exception was Queen Victoria, who was now in mourning for Prince Albert. Items included the electric telegraph, submarine cables, the first plastic, as we know it, called Parkazine. Charles Babbage showed off his analytical machine. But the highlight for many was uh, an early refrigerator, which turned water into ice. William Morris's company showed off its decorative wares, and this is only a few years after he refused to go anywhere near the Great Exhibition. A rubber-making machine was on show, an international chess tournament was staged, and Verdi was commissioned to write some music for the exhibition. Now, these buildings were intended to become permanent, but Parliament turned down the government request, and it was dismantled, and the materials were bought and used for the construction of Alexandra Palace. But at the opening, an elderly MP fell through the floorboards, was injured, and subsequently died of gangrene. 
In a tit-for-tat sequence, Paris then staged the next event in 1867 in the Champ de Mar. This was a big step up with more than 9 million visitors. I should have looked this up, but I'm pretty sure this was the exhibition where they invited the czars and all this sort of people. And um, there were a couple of... I think there was an assassination attempt made on the, on the czar at that period. Mind you, he, like Victoria, had had numerous assassination attempts uh, made on him. Now, our first here were exhibits from Japan, which started a Japanese craze amongst the visitors. Jules Verne, on seeing demonstrations of electricity, then used the invention in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. There was a hydraulic lift, and reinforced concrete made their debut. Now, whilst Europe had dominated these fairs, in 1876, Philadelphia joined the club as they celebrated 100 years since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It wasn't universally uh, welcomed by the Americans. Oh, they needed to issue stocks and shares to raise the funds. But this was very badly affected by a deadly heat wave, which curbed the number of visitors. But amongst the exhibits was another part of the Statue of Liberty, the right arm and the torch. And visitors could pay 50 cents to climb up the stairs, and the money used was uh, to help fund the pedestal for the statue. Now, if you heard my talk on uh, the two women that went around the world last year, you'll know that one of them was supported by Joseph Pulitzer. And in fact, it was Pulitzer that ended up having to run another campaign to get the money in order to build the pedestal. You know, quite dramatic to suddenly see that. Alexander Graham Bell, he showed off his new telephone, and Remington showed their typewriter. Popcorn and Heinz ketchup made their first appearance. They even had a women's pavilion with mo money raised by a women's committee who, having seen the original plans, were concerned female achievements weren't going to be in evidence. One other consequence was the building of the Smithsonian, which was then used to house some of the exhibits. Now, Paris then staged the 1889 fair. This was the 100th anniversary of the storming of the Bastille. Now, this saw the unveiling of the Eiffel Tower, but in fact, they ran a competition for an iconic building. More than 100 entries were received, including one for a giant guillotine. <laughs> but anyway, the Eiffel Tower was what was built. And like the Millennium Wheel, it was only supposed to be there for a few years, 20 years. But obviously, it's still going strong. And at this stage, it was over 1,000 feet tall. It was the tallest structure in the world. But you had to walk up, because the lifts weren't completed, at least not at the start of the exhibition. There was a Negro exhibit featuring 400 people, a gallery of machinery, an amazing vaulted building, and a tram railway that went round the outside. Edison was there with his phonograph, and one of the Grand Prix winners was Heineken. So if you drink Heineken, you know it was busy going in 1889. Now, in 1893, Chicago staged the Columbian Exhibition to mark the 400th anniversary of Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492. The centerpiece of the fair was a large water pool representing the long voyage Columbus took to get there. Now, Chicago got the nods as hosts over New York, Washington, and St. Louis, but only after a bidding war had broken out between some very wealthy patrons. Chicago had to raise several million extra dollars in a 24-hour period, but they did it. Now, the exposition was an influential social and cultural event and had a profound effect on architecture, sanitation, the arts, Chicago's self-image, and American industrial optimism. The exposition covered more than 600 acres. 
It featured nearly 200 new but deliberately temporary buildings of predominantly neoclassical architecture, plus canals, lagoons, and peoples and cultures from 46 countries were there. More than 27 million people attended during its sixth-month run. Its scale and grandeur, as you can understand, far exceeded the other world's fairs, and it became a, a symbol of emerging American commercialism, much in the same way that the Great Exhibition had been a symbol of the Victorian era here. On October the 9th, 1893, the day designated as Chicago Day, the fair set a world record for outdoor event attendance, drawing in 750,000 people. Now, not all was rosy. Civil rights leaders objected that no specific African-American exhibits were on display, though individuals did form part of other exhibits. 46 nations took part, national pavilions were set up, and people were able to visit on a Sunday for the first time. Also for the first time, there was an amusement area which included a Ferris wheel built by George Ferris. It was 264 feet high, and it had 36 cars. There were three replica ships of Columbus's fleet built in Spain and sailed to America. It featured the world's first travelator, not that it went anywhere very interesting, and there was an artillery pavilion set up by the German gunmaker Krupp at a cost of $1 million. Now, such was the armory on show, one US general called it the world's greatest peacemaker. Amongst the most popular exhibits was a Viking ship which had been sailed over from Norway. And this is now moored in Illinois. And amongst the frequent performers was Scott Joplin. Now, many of the buildings were given a white facing, and it's supposed to have inspired a move to beautification of cities in urban spaces. One major attraction that was denied a space was Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. But they went ahead and set up just outside the exhibition park. It's almost like sort of ambush marketing, really. But it reaped major dividends. And of course, none of those profits went to the organizers. But overall, it did make money. Now, there were some plans to make some of the buildings permanent. But while they dithered, a major fire the following year destroyed most of the site. The fair ended on a downbeat note as, two days before it closed, the popular mayor was assassinated. And if that wasn't bad enough, a serial killer was discovered living close to the park. Of his 200 victims, how many did he ensnare at the fair? Now, the next World Fair was back in Paris in 1900. Essentially, this was designed to herald the new century and to ensure the biggest response from countries they were given eight years to prepare. Sadly, it was a financial failure with far fewer visitors than anticipated. Times were hard in Paris in this period and many just couldn't afford to attend. And many Parisians had actually invested money in shares and basically they lost their investment. With fewer visitors, the concessionaires were suffering as rents were based on high attendance. And they went on strike which meant large parts of the exposition were closed until they were given a rent rebate. The prevailing style was Art Nouveau, and amongst the notable exhibits, talking films, lifts. Rudolf Diesel showed his engine, which was run on peanut oil. There was a giant telescope, an exhibition of American Negroes, which showed how they were important contributors in American society. Russian sparkling wine beat French entries to win the prize as best champagne. And it was the first appearance of Russian nesting dolls. 
Each country funded, designed, and generally constructed their pavilions. The British royalty, one of the largest, consisted of a mock Jacobean mansion, which was designed by Edward Lutchins, Edwin Lutchins. The German pavilion, which was the second largest, was sort of a large tower resembling a beer hall, or beer keller, made out of wood, stained glass, and was inspired apparently by Kaiser Wilhelm. Now, like the Great Exhibition, the French colonies were very much in evidence, in particular sub-Saharan Africa. These exhibits were used to exemplify African primitiveness versus French power, technology, and culture. Human zoos or miniature villages with African people participating in authentic activities such as art, music, and military training were meant to educate and entertain the French public. In reality, it was designed to convince the French public that France's mission was civilizing the nations. Oh, and running during the fair were the Olympic Games. Now, this ran over five months. No medals were awarded. There were a few cups and trophies, but it was all a bit haphazard. Some sports were never competed for again. Automobile and motorcycle racing, ballooning, cricket, when it says France v um, England, it was pretty much all expats, as you can possibly imagine. There was croquet, Basque pelota, 200-meter swimming obstacle race, and underwater swimming. This was the, also the only Olympics in history to use live animals, pigeons, as targets during the shooting event. <laughs> but perhaps the most important addition to Paris was the Metro, which opened in July that year. Now, to mark the 50th anniversary of the Great Exhibi Exhibition, Glasgow staged its own in Kelvin Park Grove. But I'm going to end this roundup with the Louisiana Purchase Exhibition, essentially the St. Louis World Fair, which was held in 1904. It cost $15 million, more than 60 countries, and 43 of the then 45 American states had spaces and more than 19 people attended over the nine months. As we've seen, these fairs were showcases for new technology, innovation, and scientific discoveries, all novel experiences for the average visitors. Many of the 1904 inventions showed the remarkable precursors to modern familiar technology and significantly helped change the perception of electricity, which was still feared by many. There was wireless telephony, or the radio phone, which was viewed with amazement. Music or spoken messages were transmitted from an apparatus within the Palace of Electricity to a wireless telephone receiver out in the courtyard. The receiver, when placed to the ear, allowed a visitor to hear the transmission. This radiophone was another invention of Alexander Graham Bell. There was an early fax machine, the Tell Autograph. The X-ray machine made its public debut at the fair. Now, X-rays had been discovered as early as 1895, but by 1904 had been perfected, and incubators had started to appear. One of the most popular attractions of the exposition was contained in the Palace of Transportation, automobiles and motor cars. It contained 140 models, including ones powered by gasoline, steam, and electricity. Four years later, the Ford Motor Company produced the Model T Ford. Also demonstrated was a prototype car radio. The fair hosted the first ever airship contest with a grand prize of $100,000 to the airship or other flying machine with the best time through a course marked out by stationary air balloons whilst traveling at least 15 miles per hour. 
Now, no one won the prize, but it was another landmark, and St. Louis became known as the Flight City, which is presumably why Charles Lindbergh's plane was called the Spirit of St. Louis. It also hosted the Olympics. But the expense of competing, especially for Europeans, meant it attracted a relatively small number of competitors, just 62 from outside North America. The initial marathon winner was a chap who had, in fact, ridden in a car for 19 miles, was dropped out early and then dropped in near the finish. And <laughs> he thought it was a joke when he was greeted as the winner. He only realized just before the medal ceremony. A number of foods are claimed to have been invented at the fair, ice cream cones, hamburgers, and hot dogs amongst them. More probably, they just became more popularized because they were seen by so many people. Amongst the natural history exhibits was the cast of a blue whale, and doing a turn in the native Indian teepee was Geronimo. And if you needed a laugh, well, that was also catered for, the Temple of Mirth. But perhaps the most extraordinary exhibit was what was supposedly the greatest and most realistic military spectacle known in the history of the world. They never understate these things, the Americans. But it was a reenactment of, the, of part of the Second Boer War. Now, these recreations took two or three hours and included several generals and 600 veteran soldiers from both sides of the war. And at the conclusion of the show, the Boer general, Christian de Vett, would escape on horseback by leaping from a height of 35 feet into a pool of water. I'm told that, that most often this was actually done by an actor, but even so, that's um, quite a thing to do. You had to pay extra to see it, up to a dollar, but as you can imagine, it was extremely popular. Now, this is by no means a complete list of fairs. They proliferated around the world. Some were pretty specific, others very regular. But for the period, they were extraordinary catalysts for developing ideas. And before television, the only way many people were exposed realistically to elements of the developing world. It's not the same looking at a, a static picture in a newspaper if you could walk around and, and have a play. These days, these expos are still held. Next year, it's in Beijing, with horticulture as its theme. So there you are, ladies and gentlemen, and whiz through 19th century exhibitions. The views expressed by the speaker are not necessarily the same as those held by the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. This podcast is published by the Mr. T Podcast Studio. Thank you.